home recently, we've had a discussion about cost-benefit ratios. For the past few years, our children, now 21 years old and 19 years old, have each had a fish, Zip Zip and Pedro, respectively. A few months ago, Pedro passed on to the big freshwater tank in the sky. And so our son, Wilson, purchased opal, a beta named for her color. He paid around $5 for her. Unfortunately, opal was plagued by health issues from the very beginning, namely fin rot, a fungal condition of the fins which we think she contracted before coming to live with us. Wilson went to work immediately. He investigated the causes and began buying remedies. First, he bought medications locally. When that didn't produce a cure, he ordered medicine on my Amazon account. Depending upon who you ask, Wilson or his father, somewhere between $30 and $100 has been spent trying to cure Opal. Dave claims that the $30 refers only to the part that was Wilson's own money. But in the end, none of it was enough to save Opal's life. Of course, it would have been far cheaper to just purchase another fish from the beginning. But as my husband says, Wilson functions according to a logic of relationship and not a logic of pure finance, especially when it comes to his pets. Wilson chose this logic over and over again. Each step in Opal's treatment required a moment when an assessment was performed, a decision was made, and the next step was plotted. And with the next step, with each medication purchased, Wilson made a sacrifice of time and money, ours or his, and effort. Now each one of us makes sacrifices like this all the time for things that are important to us. We sacrifice money, time, and energy for our jobs, our families, our friends, and the causes we believe in. To be honest, every significant decision we make involves a sacrifice, because to choose one thing is to not choose a thousand others. We are finite creatures, and life is inevitably full of sacrifices. The only real issue is which commitments and relationships will be the ones that shape our lives and claim our loyalties. It seems that this is what Jesus is getting at in today's Gospel reading. Whether it's building a tower or waging war, Jesus says, we should sit down and count the cost before we commit. And according to Jesus, the cost of following him is steep. It's a fact the people around him didn't seem to grasp because we're told that large crowds were following Jesus at this point as he traveled. Maybe that's why Jesus spoke in harsh and hyperbolic terms, in terms of hating father and mother, wife and husband and children, brothers and sisters, and even life itself, in terms of giving up all of one's possessions. There needed to be a moment when all these crowds stopped and assessed the cost kind of like what taking organic chemistry did for all the pre-med majors in my college class. By all accounts, the followers of Jesus did eventually recognize the cost. By the time we reach the cross in the Gospel of Luke, even the people remaining are following a lot less closely. Luke tells us of Jesus' crucifixion, that all Jesus' acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. 
I wonder if somewhere in the back of their minds was the remark Jesus had made some time before. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here is the irony. To carry the cross, an instrument of death, is not to choose death. To carry the cross is to choose life. And when it comes to life, all the business models of cost-benefit analysis completely break down. It's not like deciding between an Electrolux vacuum cleaner and a Hoover, where if I choose to take my lunch to work for six months, I might be able to afford an Electrolux. Carrying the cross is about making decisions not based on the business model of costs and benefits, but on a logic of life and love and relationship. That's why to choose life is to choose the kingdom of heaven, where the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go and look for the one that is lost, where the despised and the outcast are given seats of honor, where a $5 beta fish is worth the effort and money to save. We pick up the cross because we are drawn by God's love to this kingdom of heaven way of life. We read in scripture that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When someone finds it, she goes and sells all that she has to buy that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he finds one of great value, the merchant sells all that he has and buys that one pearl. This is not the language of morose sacrifice. To follow Jesus does require from us everything we have and are, and yet we gain the kingdom of heaven, not just in the future, but also in the here and now, not just for ourselves, but in the hope that we will share it with everyone else as well. I don't know about you, but so often when I think about the cross, I tend to think only about what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus. And yes, there is a real cost in following Jesus, no doubt. Just read Luke's follow-up book, The Acts of the Apostles. As one of my seminary professors used to say to us all the time, if you're going to follow Jesus, you'd better look good on wood. But every choice we make involves sacrifices. Think what a difference it could make if we didn't think of the cross only in terms of what we are sacrificing when we follow Jesus, but also in terms of what we are choosing for ourselves, for those we meet along the way and those who will come after us, for the earth itself, what a difference it could make if when we looked at the cross, we didn't just see cost and burden and bondage, but instead saw choice and life and hope. Each and every day we wake up with the choice between life and death. How, at this moment in time, might God be calling you to choose life?